Welcome to Grabs Podcast, episode number nine, where we share firsthand stories of real-world rescues. Our guest today is Dan Dubs with Baltimore County Fire. Uh, Dan, tell us a little bit about your department and your experience. So I work for Baltimore County Fire Department. Uh, we service 610 uh, square miles from Pennsylvania to the Baltimore city line. Uh, the county surrounds the city on three sides, and the Chesapeake Bay surrounds it on the bottom half. Uh, we have 25 career houses, uh, 29 volunteer houses uh, that service. Uh, we have 28 career engines and seven career trucks. Uh, we have no career squads. The volunteers have nine of them. What does your first alarm assignment consist of? So the first alarm is going to be four engines and a truck. Um, we just updated some of our, our tactical manuals. So now we're bringing uh, four engines, one truck, a squad, and a, uh, a what we call a command engine. And what's a squad in your, in your department? So our squads, the, the volunteers, uh, they maintain them and they, they bring them out on the fires uh, and heavy rescues. They are your typical heavy rescue. Um, some of them are walk-ins, some of them are walk-arounds. They're everybody's typical heavy rescue. Okay. What's the search culture within your department? Like who searches and what's the priority of search on your, your fire ground? So because of the, uh, the amount of engines and the amount of trucks that we have, typically a truck is not far behind the first or second new engine that gets there. Uh, as soon as the first truck gets there, the off it, we have four on the engine and four on the truck on the career pieces at all times. So we're very fortunate in that aspect. Um, when the first truck arrives, the officer and the, in our department, it's a fire specialist or a firefighter. They are forcible entry and search. Uh, lieutenant's going to the floor of the fire and the specialist or the firefighter is going to the floor above. Uh, the driver and the tiller, uh, they are OV, the tiller is the OV man and the driver is the roof man. So as soon as they're parked, the driver gets out and he starts putting a stick to the roof. The tiller gets out and he's taking ladders to Charlie uh, and VESing if he has to. Um, typically, the truck company does predominant search them or the squad, depending on which whoever gets there uh, as far as special services. Uh, the engines don't search as much, but it is always an option because of fire attacks. So um, it works out really well. Everybody can search um, if you're if you're pushing hose down a hallway and you come across somebody, you know, you relay to the other guy on the hose with you and do what you got to do. How often does your department uh, supplement the search? Like you guys have the first in truck, you guys split search. It sounds like BS and split search. And then let's say this uh, squad or the heavy rescue show up or a second new truck. How often do you guys assign another rig uh, to the search crew? And when do you do that? A lot of that's building dependent. Um, depending if it's a single family dwelling, they're usually going to assign the next special service as the, the secondary search. Um, if it's a larger building, a big box store, then obviously more special services are going to be doing the initial primary um, all at once, right okay. off the bat. All right, so, uh, Dan, take us back to uh, tell us the date and then take us back to uh, the box alarm you guys had a rescue in. All right, so. Uh, it was at eight at Henry court in Lutherville, Maryland, which is, uh, between Cockeysville and, uh, Lutherville. It was October 16th, 2017. Uh, it was about two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, it was dispatched as a firebox for smoke from the balcony. Now in where I was working on engine 17 that day, 
in 17's first due, we have a ton of apartment buildings. Smoke from the balcony is, is not a abnormal occurrence, uh, especially for the middle of the day. A lot of illegal barbecues on the, uh, on the balconies. So for us, it wasn't really a big deal. Um, so we responded and several of the other pieces of equipment were out. Uh, we had had a, um, uh, retirement party at one of the farther stations. And, uh, so people were rotating through in that. So not everybody was in the station. Um, riding on engine 17 that day, uh, we have a truck assigned to that station tower 17. Um, they were out on the road at the time. So we were dispatched. It was four engines and a truck. Um, we pulled in and as we pulled up to this three story terrace style, uh, apartment building, there's four apartments per floor. And there was smoke pushing from the ridge vent of the building above division three. Um, automatically my captain, he went to, he called the working fire. My driver got out, wrapped the plug and we laid in. Uh, I was riding as the backup firefighter that day. My specialist was on the nozzle. We proceeded to, I got out, went to the door of the apartment where maintenance was standing with a, a key ring, getting ready to open the door up. Uh, we had smoke pushing through the door. My nozzleman stretched the line and my captain immediately went and was throwing ladders to the Charlie side. Um, we got everything ready, did a typical lay, you know, inch and three quarters, smooth bore, 15, 16 tip. Um, we were able, because it was a division two fire in the back apartment, we were able to stretch a line in the front door of the apartment building, center fed a staircase, stretched it up to the third floor and then brought it back down trying to let gravity help us out a little bit. Um, I forced the door with just typical irons forced. Um, wasn't a, a crazy hard door to force. Um, so we forced the door. And as soon as we opened the door up, we were met with that thick, boiling, hot black smoke from the ceiling to the floor. It was just blacked out and it was pumping. So we immediately started to push into the, to the apartment and, about three feet into the apartment, there is a kitchen to the left-hand side. Uh, the front hallway proceeds down into the living room area um, and then down another hallway to the bedrooms and the, the back bathroom. Uh, the bulk of the fire was in the, uh, in the kitchen area. And that's when we realized that we were met with uh, real heavy hoarding conditions. Uh, there was boxes and lawn furniture and all sorts of stuff stacked from the floor to the ceiling. So we were immediately entangled and, and just trying to fight our way in. Um, luckily the fire was showing itself at the ceiling and it was burning. It was burning pretty good above us. Uh, my nozzleman opened up the nozzle. We started flowing water. Um, things were getting better. As the other pieces of equipment started to arrive, the second engine that came in, they came up behind us, came into the room, uh, started to push down the hallway. And because we were only, three feet into the room to make a, a left-hand turn into the kitchen. They uh, basically had to climb over top of us. And as they were piling in to go do their search, um, they asked if we needed anything and said, somebody needs to search us. Um, back out front, there was probably 15, 20 people standing outside watching. Uh, there was no reports that anybody was trapped, no reports of any victims, nothing like that. Typical, you know, nine to five working community where this fire was. So, not that we didn't expect there to be anybody in there. We just didn't know. Um, so the guys that went past me went back to search. 
as they were pushing their way down the hallway, they, uh, they were met with more high heat and without the protection of a hose line had backed out past us. Um, when one of the guys was going past me, he said, there's fire in the back bedroom. Like, all right. So at this point now we have the majority of the fire knocked down in the kitchen area. Um, other pieces of equipment had started to arrive. The uh, sliding door for the apartment from the living area had been taken off uh, and opened. So we were starting to get good lift, good ventilation. Um, the heat was going away. It was, you know, typical. Got the fire knocked down. This is great. Room and contents job. It's awesome. Um, so immediately wanting to find more fire. They said there's fire back there. I told my nozzle men that I was going to find it and going to try to clear a path back there so we could get the hose line back. Started to get to the back room. And what I found instead of fire was uh, burned up, melted uh, vanity lights in an open bathroom. Um, so I'm almost upset, you know, there's no more fire back here. And as I was turning, uh, my flashlight came across a set of hands on a wheelchair, still holding onto the wheels. Um, so I had immediately yelled in my face piece that I had a victim and grabbed the guy and started dragging him back the way I came. So how do you drag him? Like what kind of grab did you do? I literally reached into the wheelchair, grabbed him around the back, locked my hands, pulled his face to my chest and drug him, like turned around and started walking. Um, just took a hold of him and, and started moving. Um, you know, it's not one of the ones that they teach you in class. It's just kind of that uh, immediate, like, Oh wow. I found somebody. Oh shit. <laughs> Pound dirty grabs. Yeah, it was. So I've been in the, at this point, I was still a probationary firefighter in the career department. I've been a volunteer in a couple different places um, for since about 2000 uh, had never pulled anybody out of a fire, had never really had that, that happen to me. And all in all, I thought I was a pretty good firefighter uh, up until the point where I grabbed that guy and never transmitted across the radio that I had a victim. Um, so we, that was something that was discussed later on. Uh, you know, I just, I yelled in my mouth. It was a, it was a surprise. And for anybody that's ever grabbed anybody in a real fire, the very first time um, that I, I was surprised, I, I wasn't expecting to find a guy in a wheelchair in a hallway. Um, I didn't check for a pulse. I didn't have nothing. I just yelled in my face piece that I had a victim and I was coming out. Um, brought him back down through the living room. And as I was coming through the living room, uh, guys from the, the first career truck were coming in. Um, two guys that I knew, a lieutenant and a, a fire specialist off truck one. And uh, I linked up with them. They helped me get him up off the floor and we carried him outside. Uh, once we made it back out on the, the interior staircase landing, somebody finally transmitted that there was a victim. So then obviously that initiated everything on the outside um, with EMS crews and bringing the, the litter down and whatnot. Um, so basically after that, we continued doing overhaul and everything like that, came out, switched bottles, uh, went back in, and then continued doing the overhaul and everything like that. He was, uh, he was in cardiac arrest when I brought him out and was transported, and then he expired. All right. All right. Uh, you guys, you said you, there was no reports of victims um, during this. Does that change the tempo of your department if you have reports versus no reports of victims? Um, I think it's the same as everywhere. When you hear that, that it kind of amps you up. 
um, you know, if you're expecting to look for people. And then we have a lot of, of senior guys still in our fire department that haven't retired yet. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of, of knowledge. So you get those, you know, working area homes, middle of the day, people standing outside. Nobody really has any idea who their neighbors are. So then nobody's really there. There's really no expectation of a victim at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday in an apartment building. Um, you know, it, that exponentially changes at two o'clock in the morning on a single family dwelling with four cars in the driveway. Um, I think, I think we all know that and everybody gets a little more amped up when somebody says, yeah, there's somebody in there. Um, we get a lot of fires in the County that come out as reports with entrapment, um, that end up being unfounded once we do primary search. Um, but it, it does amp up the, uh, it kind of ups the ante a little bit there. Yeah, absolutely. I think when we get positive reports, you know, it ups the ante. But then if we're talking 1400 versus 0200 in the morning, it doesn't really change our priority. We just, we still prioritize the search. Right. That's what I'm hearing. That's awesome. Uh, so does your, does your department uh, ventilate during search? Does your search crew like take windows if they can isolate or th- when the fire's knocked down? Um, so typically uh, we don't do a whole lot of window breaking if we don't have to. Um, obviously we know there's certain times where we want to vent a lot more than, than others. Um, and some of it falls under the, the respectful entry stuff. If I don't have to break this window for no reason, I'm not going to. Um, I know some places around the country, there's, there's some issues with people that, that like to break windows a lot more, or cut bigger holes. And um, we're, we're very proud of the fact that we don't do more than we have to, to, to help remedy the situation. Sure. If uh, you were told, uh, able to tell our listeners like one thing, one learned lesson or one thing about this fire, what would you tell them? Was there anything? Um, so really the big thing was, you know, I had had you know, roughly 15, 16 years as a volunteer. I'd been to a ton of fires. I'd been to a ton of fires as a career fireman. Um, thought I was a pretty good fireman. I think everybody thinks they're a good fireman until they realize that, oh, wow, there's a, there's a chink in my armor. There's, there's something different. Um, I had never had to pull somebody out of a fire. And when we do writ or we do maydays and stuff like that, it's, it's typically very choreographed uh, as far as what we're doing. Uh, me by myself in a back hallway and found a guy sitting in, in a wheelchair in the hallway. I, I yelled in my mask. I didn't take that half second to transmit that I had a victim coming back out the way I came in. Um, so it was a huge, uh, huge slice of humble pie for me uh, as far as like, wow, like I, I kind of messed that up. Um, my immediate transmission of the radio did not change the outcome and most likely would have had zero impact on the outcome. Uh, however, it was, it was definitely a learning thing for me to kind of go back and be like, maybe I don't know as much as I think I know. Maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. Um, and really kind of dialed in and, and work on some other stuff. And, and that being said, we've had, I think it's four fire classes and three EMS classes come out since my class came out already in the last three years. So we just got a new guy at my station. I work at the hazmat station now, uh, just got a brand new probationary firefighter and uh, really harp. And, you know, it's, it's kind of that thing that I can bring to the table other than what the book says, you know, Hey, this is what happened to me, you know, right up the street. This is what happened. And this is what we learned from it. Uh, so it, it kind of makes that advantageous to the fact that, 
it's, it's real world. It's not coming out of an ifs the manual where it's, you know, could be make believe or it could have happened. It's, it's real people telling people, this is what I found. This is what we did. This is what I should have done better at. So, Absolutely, Dan. I mean, I love that. I love that you're, you know, you're thinking about like your radio transmission. But realistically, how long did it take by the time you found the, the uh, victim in the wheelchair to get him outside? How long did that take? How many seconds? Uh, probably maybe forty-five seconds. Okay. I mean, forty-five it, seconds. But if you and if you but if you waited for radio traffic, so, I mean, a lot of our departments, you if you wait for radio traffic, you're going to give up fifteen. 20, 25 seconds of time, you know, so realistically looking back on it, yeah, radio traffic's good, but getting them out's better. If just my mom, call her out, then you can do some radio traffic. Right. But, uh, no, it sounds good. I love, I love what you guys did and uh, keep on pushing what you guys are doing. So uh, thank, thanks, Dan, for uh, coming on the show, episode number nine and sharing your story. If you are, uh, are on the scene of a structured fire with a rescue or assist with a dead or alive victim, Help us capture our wins and specific details and improve our rescue and search across the nation. Fill out one survey per victim on www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com. If you'd like to share your story on Grant's podcast, contact Grant Schwalbe. Uh, you can get him on the Facebook or Residential Primary Search, Making the Grab, or Justin McWilliams on Search Culture or on the Book of the Faces. Thank you.